it is not so much what you say to the enemy that makes him back off. You have an intercessor who says, enough. And when God says enough, it's enough. Yeah, enough. Enough. And, and your suffering comes to an end. Enough. Hey guys, it's Peter Lewis here. I had the absolute privilege of sitting down with Bishop T.D. Jakes recently and discussing his latest book, Crushing, When God Turns Pressure Into Power. I had with me about 30 of my students from Christ for the Nations, and for about an hour and a half, we discussed the deep things of God, the problem with pain, uh, and God's glorious redemption that can come through seasons of trial, suffering, temptation and crushing. I have no doubt that if you've been in a season of crushing, season of pain, season of turmoil, whereas Bishop says, if you feel like you've been buried, um, I really believe these next three weeks as you tune into this podcast, you're going to be absolutely floored. I hope it encourages you. Hope it gives you a renewed perspective. I'm praying for you and I'm believing that God's going to turn his pressure in your life into power. I love you guys. Hope you enjoy it. How do we how do we discern when the devil's harassing us and when the father's pruning us? And and does it matter? Because I think for many of us it may not matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because the only way the enemy could do it is that God allowed it. Mm. And if God allowed it, it's going to work together for your good. Yes. Yeah. See, you see, he is, see, you have, your perception of God cannot be, you, you know, you have black, white, you have north, south, you have east, west, you have good, evil, you have God, the devil. Boy, no. North, south, east, west, black, white are opposites. God and the devil are not opposites. The devil is not an equal opposite to God. Mm-hmm. On his best day, he was a servant before he fell. So, so sometimes God will use the enemy to push you to where he wants you to be. Mm. For example, in the eighth chapter of the, of the book of Acts, the Bible says that the disciples kept coming to Jerusalem because in the absence of Jesus, they were trying to have the Jerusalem council to make sure that they were uh, astute at, at accomplishing and building the early formation of the church. And the Bible says great persecution arose in Jerusalem. People were being killed and destroyed and maimed and sawn asunder and thrown into snake pits and crucified upside down. Mm. And, and, and the only reason Philip went to Samaria was because of the persecution that arose in Jerusalem. So God used that which is evil to drive that which is good. Wow. Okay. I'm going to say this to you. Tell you're, me. You're like this. Uh, the Bible, I was teaching on the tabernacle of David, and I was teaching our church how I read a, a scripture that said, an evil spirit came from, uh, evil spirit came from the Lord and went into Saul. And, and it's the most perplexing thing we don't like think, that verse. Yeah, yeah. People don't like to talk about that. An evil spirit was sent from the Lord? Absolutely. He commands everything. 
he told Job, you know, have you considered, he told Satan, have you considered my servant Job? So he sent Satan to and allowed him to persecute Job because he knew what was in Job. And he knew that Job would not betray him. And so in order to accomplish his will, God will use anything. He will use any enemy. He will use any power. He will use a harlot to, to drop a red cord out of a window to accomplish his will. God doesn't just use the righteous and the pure and the holy and the good times and the anointing and the presence of God. That's the substratum of the book. It is God controlling the crushing. Mm. I, I, my mother had a rose bush when I was a child. And, and, and this rose bush in some ways inspired some of the aspects of this, this book when I talk about in the Gospel of St. John and I talked about uh, I am the vine and my father is the husband and every branch of me that beareth fruit he purges it that it might bring forth more fruit. Mm -hmm. I had a real life experience with that. I used to watch my mother uh, prune her rose bush. And so I thought I would help her one year. <laughs> Not a good idea. I went out there and I started, I took the same knife, I cut the same bush, and I hacked it almost to death. The difference between my mother and I, it was the same bush, it was the same knife, but the knife was in the right hand. She knew exactly where to cut it to make it grow. Hmm. And I hacked it up. What I'm trying to say in this book is that you might get cut, but the knife is in the right hand. Hmm. He knows exactly where to cut you in order to make you better. So every branch of me that beareth fruit, I don't always reward you. I, I prune it that it may bring forth more fruit. Mm. And finally, it says that you should bring forth much fruit. So from fruit to more fruit to much fruit, herein is my Father glorified, mm. that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Mm. Wow. <laughs> so when we're tormented trying to figure out, is this God or this the devil, it doesn't matter. The knife's in the right hand because we're in covenant. Right That's right. At the end of the day, it is not so much what you say to the enemy that makes him back off. You have an intercessor. Say that, Bishop. Who says, enough. And when God says enough, it's enough. Mm. Yeah, enough. <laughs> Ooh, glory. <Wow. laughs> Excuse me just a minute. I felt that in a very deep place. Enough. Enough. Yeah. And, and your suffering comes to an end. Enough. I've, I've, I got him where I want him to go. I got him into Samaria. I got his heart open. Wow. I taught him how to love me through tears. Enough. I've moved him to a point that he's found out he didn't need all the friends that rejected him. Enough. I've taught him how to stand on his own two feet. Because you say, I'm a father, I'm only imitating him. Wow. Because he is the first thing Jesus says to the disciples when they come to him, because you must understand when the disciples followed Jesus, prayer was a secret. They kept watching Jesus slip away from them and go up in the mountains apart to pray. And finally, they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Mm. Okay. Because they associated what he did in private with the power he displayed in public. Mm. 
So they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, after this manner ought ye to pray. And the first thing he says is our Father. So not I need, not I want, not you can. He starts with the relationship that we have wow. as sons with the Father. Hmm. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When he starts down that road, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us. Now we finally got to give us. Look at how many things we talked about our father before we let our requests be made known. Mm. Knowing that your father is the boss, which art in heaven, that means he's the boss. That his name is hallowed, that he's in full control, that he has the last say, that he is absolute, that he is sovereign. Knowing all of that gives me the right to ask the question, and incidentally, and I think I touch on this in the book too, anytime you ask for something, the request is in itself a praise. Mm. Yeah, because I would never go to Chicago and ask a bag lady for a million dollars because I assume she doesn't have it. If I walk up to you and say, Peter, I need you to loan me a million dollars for two weeks, the request is a praise, because I would have never asked you if I didn't believe you had it. Hmm. So when I say, our Father, give us this day our daily bread, that too is praise. It's beautiful. Because I would have never asked you for bread if I didn't believe that you had it. Wow. Wow. So I'll stop there. <laughs> no, I just, uh, you know, the last, you know, as you're talking, I feel like you feel like some of us may persist our crushing season mm -hmm. because we're kicking against it mm -hmm. and we're not submitted to the father in it. We're using our prayers and we're fighting back the devil and we're doing all this stuff. But our will hasn't been submitted to the father. Do you think there's some, can, think, can we prolong our experience yes, by kicking and screaming? Obviously, the children of Israel prolonged their experience in the wilderness. They were never supposed to be in the wilderness for 40 years, but they murmured and complained and prolonged the process. Bitterness prolongs the process, hmm. you see. And, 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 and what, what we should do is become obedient to the process. Jesus teaches us how to do it. When, when you see Jesus on the cross hung between two thieves, he's the first one to die. He's not the weakest. He, he doesn't die because he's weak. Say that. He dies because he's submitted. Wow. So when they came to the other thieves, when they came to the thieves, they broke their legs. Okay. And let me tell you why they broke their legs. They broke their legs so that they could no longer uh, hold their weight up and resist the weight of the cross. And when you break the legs, they had to slump and become obedient to it. But they didn't have to break his legs. Had they broke his legs, they would have ruined him as a sacrificial lamb. Because the book of Leviticus says that no bone should be broken in the body of the lamb. So Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. See, this, this is, I wrote this book because I want to get this generation back in love with the word. Back in love with the word, not the crowd, the word. Okay, not the altar call, the word, because if you get in the word and the word gets in you deep enough, it will stay with you till your hair is white. 
it will stay with you to the grave. It will, you know, most of the preachers that mentored me, when I went to visit them in the hospital, they were quoting scriptures in and out of consciousness on their way home. This, this, if the word dwells in your heart richly, even if you go astray, you'll come back around because that word is like fire shut up in my bones. Wow. See, and if, if you just get this superficial crust Christian uh, souffle that mm. I see today, then when the wind and the storm comes, a good wind will blow a souffle away. But if you dig deep down into the word, and I talk about the tabernacle, and I talk about Moses' tabernacle, which is the spine of the gospel, you never can really appreciate who Jesus is until you understand the tabernacle. You won't understand why he died. You won't fully understand the day of Pentecost. You won't understand that the day of Pentecost is to us what the ringing of the bells of the priest's garment was. See, let me go through this real quick. Yeah, please. The priest went in one day a year on the Day of Atonement into the Holies of Holies. And on his way from the most holy place to the Holies of Holies, he had to change his garments. The beautiful garments that he wore with the bells and the pomegranates around the bottom had to be taken off. And he went in in white linen into the Holies of Holies, okay? Because God would not share his glory with another. There would be nothing beautiful about the priest. The priest would come in in all humility. The children of Israel are waiting outside to see if the blood hit the mercy seat so that they, they could have another year of atonement. They cannot see. They can only hear. If they don't hear the ringing of the bells, because when the priest had put the blood on the mercy seat, he then changes back into his garments. In the process of changing back into his garments, the bells ring. The sound of the bells is a sign to the people outside that the blood has hit the mercy seat and that they have been redeemed. When Jesus went into the heavens, he's going beyond the veil and told the disciples to go into Jerusalem and wait until you hear a sound from heaven. Wow. Oh. When they heard a sound from heaven, it was a sign that the blood had hit the mercy seat. I couldn't, I couldn't see it, but I heard the sound. You, you hear what I'm saying? And, and that sound announced that we are redeemed. Mm. And they couldn't preach. They had to wait for 40 days because you have no gospel. You have no gospel yes. if, if the blood has not hit the mercy seat. Yes. And the Bible says that when the day of Pentecost was fully come and they were in one place with one accord, suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Like a mighty rushing wind, cloven tongues appeared like as a fire set upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and Peter jumped up and started preaching. The only way he could do that is because he had heard the sound. So understanding the tabernacle makes the gospel come alive. Bishop. You understand what I'm saying to you? So I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop. No, but, this but is I our put, love language. I, I put a lot of this in the book so, because I'm trying, I'm trying to hand you the torch. I'm trying to hand you the fullness of the gospel and not just the crust off the bread so that you can feed a, a dying world a living bread. Mm. You have to be fully vested in not just knowing what happens, but knowing why. Um, uh, John Maxwell says, if you know how to do something, you will always have a job. But if you know why they do it, they will always work for you. 
So, so people today are preaching the how, but what I'm trying to give you is the why. Touch me not, Mary, remember in the garden? For I have not yet ascended to my father. The reason she couldn't touch him is if she would have touched him, she would have tainted him. He was on his way to the mercy seat, and he had to put the blood on the, on the, on the altar so that we might be redeemed. Wow. Everything that you are reading in the Gospels is connected yes. to a deeper understanding of the tabernacle. And so I, I, I had to have the tabernacle in the book because it explains. I got to give you one more thing. I got to give you two more things. It's amazing. It, 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 it explains the table of shoe bread in the most holy place where, where the bread and the wine was reserved as an offering before God at the table of shoe bread. If you don't understand the table of shoe bread, you don't fully understand the Passover uh, that, that the children of Israel, when they came out of Egypt, that on the night of the Passover, the death angel came by and God said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. They commemorated it. They commemorated the Passover by taking the wine and eating the bread, remembering the night of the Passover. They commemorated these same artifacts in the most holy place of the tabernacle. They commemorated this all through Jesus' life. They had Passover. It was a part of the Jewish tradition. Suddenly there became, at this Last Supper, a paradigm shift. A paradigm shift is something that completely changes everything for the duration. Here is the paradigm shift. All the way up to the Last Supper, the blood looked back at an actual lamb. All the way up to the Passover, the, 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 the bread and the wine reminded the, the children of Israel of their deliverance from Egypt. Wow. All of a sudden, Jesus sits down at the table. They have prepared for the Passover. And for the first time, it turns from Passover to communion. Do you hear what I'm saying? I hear Be because, you. because he says, when they were used to the wine, they were used to the bread. This was ordinary stuff for yes. them. Yes. But he changed the meaning of it. He knew why. What it was connected to. What it was connected to. Up until now, you, you, you are praising God over a shadow of which I am a reality. Now, a shadow is an object that is, that is seen through, from light. When an object stands in light, it creates a shadow. So if I stand in the light that's behind me, I cast a shadow. The shadow was the lamb. Christ is the lamb. So all up until now, you are praising God for the shadow. Mm. Now you're sitting at the table with the object. So the object now says to them, <laughs> he said, check this out, Peter. He says, he said, take and drink. This is the New Testament in my blood. And he takes the bread and breaks it. And he says, take, eat. This is my body. Wait a minute. First of all, I thought this was the Passover. Not anymore. It's a paradigm shift. Wow. From here forth, it will be called communion. Number two, you have got the physical body of Christ breaking the memorial body of Christ. All of this is in the book. The physical Christ breaks the memorial body of Christ and gives it to the mystical body of Christ. See, all at the same table, you see. I'm going to go through that again because I want you yeah, to see that. Yeah, say that again. 
That's huge. The physical body of Christ is sitting here. Jesus. Okay. And all of a sudden, he takes the memorial body of Christ, which is communion, and he offers it to what will be the New Testament church, which is the mystical body of Christ. So you, you see that? You see it? Watch this. Watch this. So, so you've got the body of Christ serving the body of Christ to the body of Christ. Okay? Okay. Okay. So all of this is happening at the table. Oh, God. All of that, all of that is happening at the table. And, and I put that in the book because I want you to understand you have, you have four expressions of the body of Christ. You have the physical body of Christ. He had to come in a physical body to be kin to you so that he would be eligible to redeem you because you cannot redeem what you are not kin to. So you have the physical body of Christ. Then you have the memorial body of Christ. As often as you do this, you do this in remembrance, memorial, of me until I come again. So the artifacts of the bread and the wine are the memorial body of Christ. And then you have the mystical body of Christ. We are the body of Christ, okay? So the physical body of Christ serves the memorial body of Christ to the mystical body of Christ in expectation of the return of the glorified body of Christ. You see? So, 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 so look, just get the book. But it's, 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 it's in there. It's in there. It's in there. Bishop, this is, this is our love language. We love talking about these things and getting into the nuance of the gospel, do we not? Um, we've been looking at this stuff for eight weeks, and so this is just such a beautiful just depth. I love that. I'm going to remember that for a while. <laughs> Do you guys have any questions as you're hearing him talk? Isn't this amazing? Isn't this beautiful? Does anyone have any questions? Yeah. Here's a question. I'll take care of whoever's got the mic. Yes. Uh, when you're talking about the tough love of the father, you know, the father that disciplines his son because he loves him, I have a lot of people that I've known that have become bitter against the church, angry against God or disappointed because they were promised that everything would be fine and that they explain away books like Job saying that's the Old Testament. Now everything is blessing and goodness. Do you think that has been a mistake of maybe the church or teaching to? It's a huge mistake. Uh, when you don't expect to go through suffering, you go into shock. And it is a huge mistake for fathers to turn into Santa Claus and only give the kids gifts and candy because a real father gives chastening. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. So he's not chastening you because he doesn't love you. It is because he loves you that he chastens you. And so now we have a generation of church people who do not recognize their father because they expected him to be Santa Claus. Wow. And he comes with chastening in his hand, and they resent it, and they say the gospel didn't work. Well, hey, that stuff you were taught was not the gospel. The gospel centers around the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Jesus was open. He wasn't in the closet. He came right out in front. Take up your cross and follow me. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that would be, first you must understand that the cross in Christ's day was not an object of affection. It was a place of suffering and shame and agony. And it was a place of execution before it was a, just a place of crucifixion. It would have been like the electric chair. 
So I'm getting ready to go to the electric chair, and I say, hey, everybody, come on and go to the electric chair with me. Anybody want to go? No. When Jesus says to them, take up your cross and follow me, they understood clearly that the first thing he tells them is about suffering. Mm-hmm. Not the last. The first thing he tells them is suffering. Unless you forsake mother, father, sister, brother, you cannot become my disciple. Jesus was just the antithesis of what we see today. Five ways to get a blessing. Ten ways to get up on your free. Three ways to be prosperous. Ten ways. No, 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 no. Jesus is talking about dying. Except a grain of wheat fall into the ground and die to buy it alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. Now, he prepares them for death, and then he gives them life. You see? And, and, and so it's not that the promises aren't there, and it's not that the blessings aren't there, but the blessings are mostly on the other side of the question. I'll, I'll prove it to you. Uh, Jesus is preaching a message you, at the, the 5,000 and two fish and five loaves of bread. The amazing thing about the text is that you have uh, Jesus preaching a message that is so powerful that 5,000 men, not to mention women and children, would rather faint than miss a word, he says. Mm. That's a powerful sermon. I wish I'd have heard it. I didn't hear it. They didn't write it. We never heard what he said. What we get is what he did. He preached a sermon, whatever it was, so powerful that men are ready to faint. The disciples come to him and say, these people are about to pass out, Jesus, and you're still talking. Uh, We need to send them away to get something to eat. Jesus says, they need not depart. They say, we have nothing. We have nothing against such a great multitude. All we have is this little boy's lunch with two fish and five loaves of bread. And he says, give it to me. Watch this. He took it. He blessed it. He broke it. And he gave it to them. It was two fish and five loaves of bread when he took it. It was two fish and five loaves of bread when he blessed it. It was when he broke it that it began to multiply. The multiplication in your life only comes through the breaking of your life. Wow. Question here. Yes, Mr. Jakes. Um, I had a question for you about like when we're in the real pressure places in life and the real hard times. Um, you mentioned like the sliver that Job was in, mm-hmm. that hard place. How can we prepare ourselves to stand strong in those times today? You mentioned being in the Word and getting the Word in you. Is that the most essential way, or is there other ways we can also prepare ourselves? I want the Word to be so deep down in you that when your emotions turn against you, your soul doesn't move because it has a foundation. I I want you to understand your emotions are going to react like anybody else's emotions. You're going to cry. You're going to be depressed. You're going to be upset. You're going to do all kinds of things just like any other human. I don't want to make a robot out of you Uh, because, because Christ is touched by the feeling of your infirmity. So I don't want you to go through it and bury your baby and not cry and say, you know, I just trust the Lord about it, because that's phony. I want you to go through everything that any other grieving parent would go through in the process of losing their child and question and wonder and cry and agonize and know that you are nailed to the cross. You're going to stay there Mm. because the word 
that's so inextricably connected you to him that even doubting him, even questioning him, even crying out to him, you are still with him. So this is not a, so much about a doing, son, as it is about a being. This is not something that you do. This is something that you are. And the only way that I know for sure that you are that is that the word of God dwell in your heart richly by faith because you are begotten by the word, okay? This is not something that you can necessarily prepare yourself for. What you want to do is make sure that you are connected to God for the right reasons, not for the things he promised, but who he is. The prodigal son walked away with his father's stuff only to find out that his father was more valuable than the stuff. Mm -hmm. So to be connected to the father, the reason I make a difference between being and doing is that you, you, can, you, you can teach people what you know, but you can only reproduce what you are. And when trials come, trials don't just test what you know, they test what you are. And so if you've been begotten by the word of God, you've been born by the word of God, you weren't born by the promises, you weren't born by the healing, you weren't born because you got a car, you weren't born because you got a check, because if all of that begot you, when I take that, I got you. Mm. The devil can't take the word. If you've been begotten by the word of God, you can lose all of your stuff and the word will still stand there. You'll be in a homeless shelter quoting scriptures because if the word is in you, the word is in you and it will come out in you even in your frustration. What I see people do is try to be Christian. You, that's not something you try to be. That's something you just are. Whether you, the prodigal son was his father's son, whether he was in the palace, whether he was in the hog pen, whether he was on the road, whether mm -hmm. he was spending his father's stuff with riotous living, whether he disgraced his, his father, whether he embarrassed his father, humiliated his father, he is still his son. I cannot unbegotten, is that a word? I'm going to make it a word. <laughs> yeah. I cannot unbegotten right. my son. Right. I can be angry with him. I can be frustrated with him. He can be in prison. Then my son is in prison. If he's in the hospital, my, I've got a son in the hospital. If he's dead, I've got a son in the grave. I can never unson him because he's been begotten by wow. me. What I put in him, I can never change my mind and get it back. That's right. God took it out of my hands. I had a choice to plant it. But once it's planted, it's completely out of my hands. He will forever ever be my son. Mm. If we never speak again, he, he will be my son. You have been begotten by the word, which is the sperm of God, and you will be his son in grace or disgrace, in good times or bad, in feast or in famine, you will still be his son. And because that is what you are and not something that you do, Satan can attack everything that you do and everything that you have, but he can never take away what you are. Wow. So I just want to, we got one more, a couple more questions, but I just want to highlight something because you're highlighting covenant mm -hmm. through the word of God. Absolutely. So that confidence in covenant mm -hmm. is what prepares us to go through whatever life throws at us because our covenant's bigger than what we go through. Absolutely. Wow. So since you were in your, in, in one of your first crushing seasons um, through the, the, the passing of your mother and then your daughter, and My since father. we are in a, uh, in a, in a gener microwavable generation, when did you know when to like move on from that 
or just wait a little longer in that, in, in that time to, to cry and linger in his presence? That is not something you do. That's something he does for you. Uh, I wish I could take credit for that. Everything I ever got out of, he got me out of it. <laughs> mm. To God be the glory for the things he's done. Uh, when I lost my mother, uh, I was pastoring this church and grieving, and they didn't know it, and preaching, and they couldn't tell it. And I was preaching and going home and asking God, how could you do that? How could you let me pray for other people and then be healed? And I would leave here wet with sweat and go lay on my mother and ask him to heal her, and he didn't heal her. And I was upset with him, but I was still preaching <laughs> because I promised him that I would be faithful over a few things, whether I felt it or not. You cannot restore yourself. Wow. But in the process of being committed to your word, little by little, he, he, he walked me out of the fire. You, you understand? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Little by little. And I looked around one day uh, to, to be completely transparent. Joseph Carlington came here to preach for us. And he was preaching about the power of prayer language. And it had nothing to do with grief at all. And he got us praying in our prayer language. And I noticed while I was praying in my prayer language, that weight lifted up off of me. Wow. Because the spirit knows what's in us. And it can get at things that my conscious mind could not. And while I was praying in my prayer language, I don't even know what my spirit was saying. But whatever it was, it gave my soul relief. Wow. And I began to recover. You, the, the Lord knows the way that you take. And when he, when he has tried you, you shall come forth as pure gold, not because you climbed out. If you're going to come out, we're, we're melting this down, we're melting the gold down so the dross can be cast to the side so you can be pure gold. That's not something the gold does. That's something the fire does. And, and the one who puts you on the fire, once you've gotten the dross off, He's the one who puts the fire out. Mm -hmm. So every fire I ever got out of, it was him that got me out of it. It wasn't something I got myself out of. And I know this is vulnerable, and I know this is scary, because we always want to do something. Mm -hmm. But your faith is much more about being than it is about doing. Mm -hmm. and, and God gets you out, and God gets you in, and anything he gets you in, he will get you out of. If he puts you in the fire, he will get you out of the fire. If he, if, he, if he puts you in the grave, he will raise you up from the grave. If he allows you to go through suffering, he will pull you out. And until then, you just have to trust him in the process. And if you don't remember the scriptures at all that I shared with you and that I talk about in the, cook, in the book, remember the cake. If you pull it out of the oven too soon, it'll fall. The baker knows when the cake is done. Don't let the brownness fool you. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed listening to that portion of our interview. If you'd like to watch the full interview, visit my website, braveheartministries.org.